guys, Ryan Ament from Chasing Happiness Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day. Today on the podcast, we have Scott White. And with my horrible horse voice, we will try to get through this. Scott is the life is too short guy. And I think we're going to have some pretty interesting conversations about life and time and a few other things. Scott, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invite, Ryan. You're more than welcome. I know it's a little bit of a wait, so thank you for waiting, but I look forward to having a great conversation with you. It's worth the wait. It's a great podcast. I'm grateful to be invited to be on it. Awesome. Thank you. So before we get started, can we just get a little background on yourself and then we'll start getting down some rabbit holes, as I say. Sure. I like to call myself Life is Too Short Guy. I wrote a book last year called The Life is Too Short Guy, and, and it is a a manual, so to speak, a user's guide to making every day the best day ever. It, it started as a, a challenge to myself to write the book, and then it became a hobby, and then it evolved into a passion project. And today, I would say it is an obsession. I am, I'm really excited to see what this has evolved into, the ability to spread happiness, to, to get people to, to sort of open their eyes. And, and my mission is to make the world happier one smile at a time and to do it in very small ways. It's not moving mountains. It's not transforming the way you think or what you do. It's little things. And, and what I hope you'll take away and others, your listeners will take away is, wow, that's easy. Like I already knew that, but that's fine. That's fine. The goal is for you to take away some actionable tools and make every day the best day ever. So what got you to write the book? I, I, I read a little bit of your bio, but could you share with the listeners or what got you there? So I've always wanted to write a book and I never knew exactly what it would be about. I'm in the real estate business. I, I run a public real estate company and I'm also involved in a student housing development business. And I thought about writing books about business or leadership or coaching or something like that. And during the pandemic, I started working with a new executive coach. His name is Kevin and I talk about him in the book. And the first meeting or call with Kevin is a get to know you. He asks a bunch of questions. I fill out a bunch of questionnaires, personality assessments. Then we get on the phone the second time. And this is exactly the way he said it. I remembered. He's like, dude, you are like the life is too short guy. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that's right. He's like, Ron, get it done. Do it today. Live in the moment. Enjoy life. And I'm like, yeah. But I never really thought about it that way. It's who I am. It wasn't all of a sudden you're like, all right, look, it's a new me. It's just how I go about my life. When he said that, I mentioned it to my wife that night and she connected the dots and said, huh, maybe that's the book you always wanted to write. And, and I'm very grateful and fortunate I've been with my wife now for 33 years. And wow. uh, I reacted the same way I often do when she has an idea. I'm like, that's ridiculous. What the heck would that be about? She planted the seed. She watered the seed. She let it germinate a little bit. Over the next couple of weeks, I thought about it. I started outlining and, and then it died. That was 2020. One, and then early in 2022, I, I met somebody who has a publishing business, who has a program for first-time authors, and I got involved in it and spent all of 2022, now that we're in 2024, I got to recalibrate my math, 2022, writing the book and rewriting the book and editing the book and working with a publisher. And then it came out at the very beginning of 2023, and it's been a wild, fun, exciting, energizing ride ever since. So let's dive into the book and then we'll talk about a little bit what you're doing in real estate since that's my, my space also is what can we, let's just start from maybe chapter one, however you want to look at it. What can we take away from the book and how can we just dive into it and make our lives better, make them happier because we're inundated on a daily basis with uh, all types of stuff through social media, 
through news, all types of mediums. Yeah, look, 80% of all thoughts are negative. 90% of news media coverage is negative. I saw a statistic when I was writing the book that blew my mind, the University of Chicago public opinion poll said that Americans are more unhappy than they've been in the last 50 years. Think about that. Wow. Half a century, we live in the greatest country in the world that I believe the greatest time in the evolution of, of society. And, and people are, Americans are more unhappy than they've ever been. And that was a real eye-opener to me and part of what inspired me to write the book. And, and as I mentioned before, the idea of the book is to give people a very practical user's guide to, to making every day the best day ever. It's not a uh, an academic, philosophical, theoretical construct. It's not a new model. It's not a, it's not a business book. So while all the principles are applicable to business, I don't write it as a, a CEO of a public company. I don't write it as a business leader. I write it as anyone, a, a sixth grader could pick this book up and read it. A senior citizen that has just moved to a new community or, or dealt with the death of a spouse or something like that could pick it up and read it and have a, a, a more refined perspective. So let, let me jump in if, if that's uh, where you want to go, Ryan, and I can share yeah. some of the principles and share some of the ideas. There's 10 principles and we won't have time to get through all of them, but excuse me, the foundational one, the most important one is attitude is everything, the power of positivity. It's so what does that mean? It means that we control so much of the way we view the world. And, and I often ask this question, I'm always surprised. If I were to ask you, Ryan, you got a new car, a new job, a new house, a new relationship, you won the lottery, five amazing things. Or unfortunately, we all have to you deal with illness, maybe death of, of someone close to you, maybe catastrophic injury, maybe you lost your job. External variables, what percent of your overall happiness do you think long-term is tied to that? Externally? I would probably say 80% or more. Most people say that. And the reality is that you're going to be shocked by this. The external exogenous factors outside of you only account for 10% of your overall long-term happiness. And there've been wow. numerous studies to demonstrate that. Okay. So then that begs the question, well, where does your happiness or your attitude and perspective come from? About 50% plus or minus is hereditary. It's in your genetics. People have a certain predisposition to view the world in a certain way. However, the beauty of that is you take the 50%, you add on the 10% that's exogenous factors, the new car, the new house, so on and so forth. That leaves 30 to 40% of the pie. Let's go with 40% of the pie that you control right here. You have the ability to, to view the world, how you approach the world, how you deal with setbacks, how you deal with, with wins and, and successes, and the lens through which you view the world, which brings us to the second principle is choose your attitude and own it. You have the ability to choose your attitude and own it. And, and the simplest tool I give people here, and I love to give people this tool because when I say it, and I know your listeners are listening to it, they roll their eyes like, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm sure that that's really going to make a difference. And then I will tell you the most rewarding thing for me on this journey over the last little over a year now has been getting feedback from people. I'll do a podcast like this and a couple weeks later, someone will reach out and be like, I heard you and, and I, I tried what, what you said and wow, it makes a difference. So, so here's what I would say to you. I would say, Here's the tool, Ryan. Do you remember you opened your eyes this morning? Boom. What was your very first thought as you opened your eyes? It's raining outside. It's raining outside. Perfect. So I tell people, that's great. There are three sets of glasses you have. 
next to your bed, right? And what I think you put on is what most people put on is the blurry glasses. All right, it's Thursday, it's raining out, it's cold, it's, I gotta go to the bathroom. I need a cup of coffee, right? It's, it's those blurry glasses. It's just, I'm waking up. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people and, and they don't always agree, admit to it, put on the very muddy glasses, the, it's Thursday, it's cold, it's dark. I got a million things to do today. I don't feel like getting out of bed. I'm so comfortable. Why not? And this is the simplest concept. Why not reach over to the dresser? And when you wake up tomorrow morning, and I challenge you to try this proactively. You open your eyes. And I did it this morning. I'm like, ah, it's a beautiful day. I am in bed next to the woman I love. My children who are off at college are home today. So I'm grateful they're in the same house as me. The opportunity to talk to Ryan. Yes, I swear this is the truth. Ryan and his audience today. I'm having a, a great lunch with somebody I haven't seen in a while. I'm going to an event this evening. Boom. I am now 10 seconds into the day, Ryan, 10 seconds. And I've already proactively thought, and in some cases said, five or six things that I'm happy, grateful, and excited for. The minute my own my eyes, I've created the roadmap. I've chosen my attitude and owned it for where I'm going to take the day. Now, look, I understand the pushback, someone's going, that's great. You, you do that and then you step out of bed and you twist your ankle and you're injured, right? The, the pessimist is automatically going there. There's no guarantee that opening your eyes with that positive attitude is going to make it the best day ever. But why not, as Henry Ford said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. Well, actually, I'm not sure he said you're probably, you're right. Why not set the roadmap for the day to say, you know what? Today's going to be the best day ever. And there'll be twists and turns around the, the day, but why not? Set yourself on the right path. So the second one is choose your attitude and own it. The, the third principle is little things make a big difference. And I love this one because I give so many little examples and I'll just rattle them off quickly without dwelling on them of the smallest things that people can do to make their life happier and the world around them better. The simplest one. You ready? Ready. Smile. It's very easy to do. Can we go back to when you wake up? I'm thinking about it. It's one of the things I do after I get up and my dog's in here. Sorry if he makes noise. We go for a walk, come back, I journal, and then I'll, I'll read some, some devotional, some positive things. Perfect. But one, of the, one of the first things that I always am thankful for is I woke up this morning. Some people don't get to wake up. It's a positive start for me because then I can then start rolling into some other items. But it's how you frame that, but then how you started thinking about it. Now you could go to bed at night thinking about the things that you're going to do tomorrow that could be a positive impact. Wake up with those and have that Agreed. those thoughts immediately. Or thinking about being grateful for all that happened today. I'm grateful to have a wonderful day. I'm grateful I had the opportunity to meet Ryan and I hope his audience really enjoys this. I'm grateful that I went to that lunch. I'm grateful that I got to spend time with my kids before they went back to college. I'm grateful that as I look out the window right now, the sun is shining. I'm grateful I got out and ran this morning. Look, it's the middle of the day and I just rattled off six things without even thinking. I didn't even think or blink. So before you go to bed, that's another great practice, I think, Ryan. Great idea. Love it. So sorry to digress. Back to three. Yeah. So I deliberately paused on smile and I do that all the time because it, it's beautiful. I, I do a lot of uh, public speaking and I, I speak to large audiences around the country and I always say smile and I just pause and I watch the room and slowly you see the smiles come on to people. And it's such a simple concept. Again, somebody listening to this right now is like, yeah, really? My whole life's going to change when I smile. No, your whole life may not change, but why not? It, it takes so little 
to be thoughtful, deliberate, and proactive. Smile more frequently. Smile when you wake up. Smile when you get in the shower. Smile when you go down for breakfast. Smile when you get in the car. Smile when you get to the office. Smile and just keep doing it. One, it creates chemicals in the brain to help you feel better and more positive. Two, there's a ripple effect to those around you. As you see people smiling, when was the last time you walked by somebody who was smiling and it made you like, Smile. So smile. Little things make a big difference. Random acts of kindness. When was the last time you were the giver or recipient of random acts of kindness? Celebrate. When was the last time you went out of your way to celebrate the small wins in life? We don't have to. Look, I'd love to celebrate winning a Nobel Prize. I'd love to celebrate finding the cure for cancer. I'd love to celebrate launching a, a person into space. We don't do that every day. At least I speak for myself. I don't know about you, Ryan, but we have small wins. We celebrate the the good grade in school. We celebrate the another podcast where I had an opportunity to talk to people. We celebrate in the book. I tell this wonderful story that a couple of years ago around the holidays, I uh, went out to dinner with my family and there was no plan or agenda. And before we leave the house, I grab my iPad and I stick it under my jacket. And it's amazing to me that nobody notices me walking down the street, holding the iPad. I get to the table. And I take the iPad out and I put it on the, the table. And at this point, it, it's a nicer restaurant. I have two teenage daughters that are rolling their eyes. What are you doing, dad? Seriously, what are you doing? I open up the iPad and in it during the day, I had, this is the end of the year, I created a five-page PowerPoint presentation. And on it, actually six, I'm sorry, six-page PowerPoint presentation. It's myself, my wife, and each of my two daughters. Everyone has a page for us as a family and a page for myself and my wife as a couple. And on it, I rattled off bullet points of all the things we had to celebrate from the, the prior year, all the things that, that we had accomplished. And again, they may not have been world-changing events, but we don't spend enough time celebrating the small wins in life. So spend more time celebrating, spend more time with random acts of kindness, spend more time smiling, whistling, singing. There are empirical studies that I talk about a little bit in the book. I don't talk a lot about empirical studies, but I talk about how uh, their brain chemicals and things that happen when you sing, when you whistle. I may not be making everyone around me happy as I'm singing, but I'm happy as I'm sitting in the car singing, I'm sitting in the, I'm in the shower singing, wherever I'm at, spend more time with singing, whistling, celebrating. So that's the third principle. Little things make a big difference. There's seven more principles. I can go on as, as far as you want, Ryan. Let's do the top five. Okay. So the fourth one is minutes matter. And the book really is the intersection between happiness and urgency. And I want people to realize today, literally today, not figuratively, today's the day to take control to live a happier life because tomorrow's not guaranteed. And in this chapter, I talk about how we think about our minutes. And, and I don't have a secret formula to, to being more time efficient. And that's a different book. That's a different guru. What I tell people to do is a couple of things. One, think about the fact Minutes are finite. Minutes are, when you're born with a life expectancy plus or minus of 80, and we can debate that, you have about 42 million minutes, okay? So I'm guessing, Ryan, that most of your listeners are not newborns. No. Reasonable assumption. I'm just gonna make a random guess to make my math easy because I'm not the best at math. I'm gonna say most of your listeners are plus or minus 40, plus or minus within that range. So you're halfway through life. Now, those yep. that are on the other side of 40, you'll have to do a little bit of math adjustment, but if you're at 40, you have about plus or minus 21 million minutes left in your life. You're going to sleep about a third of those. Now you're down to 14 million minutes. Of those 14 million minutes, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be setbacks. The final years sometimes aren't as productive as we'd like. So let's just shave off for fun about 2 million minutes. 
Your 40-ish year old has about 12 million minutes left. You think that's a lot? It's, and I draw this image for people to think about, it, and it's one of my favorite images from the book, and it's the takeaway from this chapter is, I want you to, to picture a barrel. Now, for me, it's a wine barrel. You could choose whatever barrel you want, but for me, it's a wine barrel. And that barrel has my remaining minutes left. And we each have our own barrel. Now, my minutes are precious, so I envision gold coins. And every time I do something, including right now talking to you and your listeners, I reach into the barrel and I think about pulling out some of those gold coins, some of those precious minutes. So here's the takeaway. Here's the mental image I want people to think about is as you use your time and you make proactive decisions about where your time is going, you're pulling minutes out of the barrel and understand two things. One, you have no idea how many gold coins are left in that barrel. You have no idea. And two, and this one is, is probably more important, we all have little holes in our barrels. Some are bigger than, than others, but those coins are leaking out the bottom. How many times as you listen to this, do you say to yourself, I ran around like crazy today and I don't even know what I got done. I got a million more things to do. And, and at the end of the week, I, I, I'm exhausted. I, I did so many different things and, and I have so many more things to do. Stop. Think about how you're using your minutes. Are you accomplishing your goals? Are you living your best life? Are you living your principles, your values? Are you enjoying? If not, it's time to pivot. It's time to think about how else you can use your minutes. So Minutes Matter was the fourth one. Let's see, I'm going to pick one of my other favorites. Can't make it alone. Can't make it alone. They, they aren't necessarily priorities, to be honest with you. It's not necessarily the top five. I think they're all important. And people will use them differently. So can't make it alone is a really important one to me because I think it's, it's one of the aha moments as you read the book. As we think about what we all went through related to COVID and we think about the society we live in today, there's a great deal of loneliness in this world. And, and we all experience that, I think, through COVID. And I don't think people fully appreciate the power of social networks, the power of friendships, the power of relationships, the importance of investing in, right? We, many of us have exercise plans. We have nutrition plans. We have whatever sort of, we, we have a proactive, thoughtful plan. How many people have social plans, have plans to build relationships, maintain relationships, invest in relationships? And I don't talk a lot about, um, I don't refer to a lot of studies in the book because I didn't want it to be one of those books where you read three pages and your eyes glaze over because there's 17 pages of footnotes with academic research. That's not what this is. But I do talk about the Harvard study on what makes a good life. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Ryan, but a lot of people are, are, are talking about it now because a new book came out last year on it. So this study, and this is just fascinating. If there's one thing that people should take away from the time we're spending together, I, I hope it's this. So... so <laughs> A Harvard professor in the 1930s set out to determine what makes a good life. He created a study of about 300, I think it's 267 Harvard sophomores, all males, to determine what makes a good life. And he was going to follow these 270 some odd study uh, participants for the rest of their lives and do physical assessments, physical checkups, mental assessments, questionnaires, spend time with them for the rest of their life. In the 1940s, a second cohort was added in of about 450 some odd Boston area inner city youth. So these are not Harvard students. This tries to get you a cross section of other people in the study. And there was a wide range of people in the study. So uh, there was a 
John F. Kennedy was in the study. There were a number of U.S. senators, Nobel Prize winners, like a wide range of people that were in this study. And some people committed suicide. Some people became alcoholics. Some people became highly successful. But it was focused on what makes a good life. Okay. How do people live their best lives? What, how do you tie that? And they follow these people. They're still following to this day. So obviously, a lot of them have deceased. They're following their children, their grandchildren. Think about the, the immense amount of data that's come out of this. What's the key takeaway? What's the most important thing? The power Happiness. of social. The power of social relationships create a greater sense of happiness and health than anything else. Here's my favorite statistic, especially for somebody that recently crossed over this threshold. Those at age 50 that's self-identified as having the strongest social networks, the strongest social interactions with people and people I know they can rely on, at age 80, 30 years later, were physically the healthiest, mentally the healthiest in terms of Alzheimer's, dementia, so on and so forth, and the happiest. Think about how powerful that is. Think about the implications of that. So if you pierce that back a little bit and you think about correlations between heredity and heart disease, between obesity and uh, diabetes, whatever the, the, the correlations there are, there was no stronger correlation than the power of social networks transformed into greater happiness and health. How much time are we all spending building those uh, social relationships? How much time are we investing in meeting new people, in growing relationships, in growing deep bonds? By the way, it's not about having a thousand Facebook friends. It's about having a core group of important relationships that you can count on, they can count on you. So the fifth principle that I'll leave you with here is the power of social networks and can't make it alone is what I call it. That's huge because we're so glued to our phones nowadays and social media is the drive, but you don't get out and actually interact with people during the pandemic. You couldn't shake hands, you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. And it's, it's the power of touch, it's the power of connection. And I don't know how to describe it other than I want to be around people that support me and I support them. I don't want all this craziness that you see on social media, but we're, I don't know, I guess the best way to describe that is we're so enthralled with it and it keeps us going. It's man, you got to step back and have a real relationship. No wonder why we're having struggles with relationships, mentally, physically, emotionally, all the above. And it's like, where do we stop and say, we need to make a change? Look, there's no doubt, as, as the former attorney general of the United States said, we have a, a, an epidemic of loneliness. It's real. It's life-changing. It's unhealthy. And I'd love, if nothing else, people take away from this conversation, make one extra phone call today. Send one extra, even if it's a text, send a text to, hey, Ryan, I haven't seen you in a while. How are things going? How's the family? How was your break? Let someone know you're caring. That's how you spend time building relationships. It's not racing to the next call. It's not racing to the, the supermarket. It's taking a pause. All right, let's talk about the supermarket for a minute. When was the last time you talked to somebody in front of you or behind you online? Like we're all social animals. We all want to interact. Why, as you pointed out, was the last time you're online and everyone's got their head down in their phone? Pick up your head and say, hey, what's going on? Nice to meet you. Yep. And also now we get groceries and everything delivered. You don't have to go out. It's like, you don't go to the supermarket. Very true. Talk to people. I make eye contact with as many people as I can, and I'll say hi. And I would probably say out of five, I'll get one or two that'll say hi back. Most of them just put their head down and keep walking. 
it's one of the things that I'm really focused on. It's part of my message here is let's build stronger social relationships. I'm telling you, the evidence is so strong to realize that the, the power of social net networks make a big difference. Feel like you're part of something bigger. Have people you can rely on. Have people you could interact with. Have people you could share your life and your story with. I call it a tribe. You've, you've got that core group of people that you can depend on. But you, we could back up and we could talk about this forever. But we've lost some of our social skills, if not all, some of them. Somewhere in between, they've been lost. And when you interact, I'm not as old as you. I'm going to be turning 50 this year, so I'm getting close enough, but <laughs> Close enough. I have a hard time interacting with my nephews that are in their 20s and 30s because all they want to do is sit there and text and be on their phone. And I'm like, dude, we're sitting right across from each other. Why don't we have a conversation? We're face to face. It makes no sense to me. I'm with you. I see it even in our peer group. And then the other one that really gets me is these people that I interact with on a daily basis in real estate that tell me they're so busy, they're doing this, they're doing that. But then when I sit down and talk to them, what'd you accomplish today? Nothing. Can't give me anything solid. And they wonder why they're not moving their life forward or they're unhappy or they're in, they're not in a great relationship or they can't find a relationship. Yep. And one last thing, and I'll get off my soapbox is when I speak to younger generations, I ask them what's more valuable money or time. What do you think they say? I don't know. Money. It's interesting. And here's why I paused because it's actually my observation that, that, Younger generations, those that are coming out of college now or those in their late 20s, early 30s, I feel, although I could be wrong, are less focused on their careers. They're less focused on rising, going through the corporate ladder. And I actually give them credit because I've seen more people that, that are focused on chasing dreams that are more socially mobile. I don't have to live here or there. I don't have to commit to a company or to a career because we live in this sort of uber-esque economy where it's, it's on demand and I'll do this when I want to do it, how I want to do it. So I'm sure there's a mix of both, but I, I would hope that regardless of generation, people would take a step back. And again, minutes matter. Think about how you're using your minutes and are you using them to make yourself happier? Are you using them in a way that, that look, the, tomorrow's not guaranteed. So oh. I'll flip over to the, the final principle in the book. So we skipped a couple in the middle, but the final principle in the book is take a chance and get it done today. So get out of your comfort zone, take some chances and do it today because tomorrow's not guaranteed. And, and I like to do this exercise with people that, especially when I'm doing some speeches, is I ask people to close their eyes and, and go on a walk with me. And if your listeners aren't driving, I would ask them to do it right now. Close your eyes and, and let's go on a little walk together. And on this walk, Ryan, or, or whoever's listening, it's, it's a beautiful spring day and spring varies a little bit depending on where you are in the country, but <clears throat> let's just pick May because May is usually a beautiful month everywhere and the, the birds are chirping, the sun is shining, you could smell the fresh cut grass, you can feel the light breeze on your face and we're walking through the field and, and you see something off in the distance and as you're approaching it a little bit more, again, keep your eyes closed, you, you see uh, something coming out of the ground. You see something that's maybe a, a couple of feet and, and you, you get a little bit closer and, and you see your name on it. And, and what you're doing is you're looking at your tombstone. And I ask people to imagine, I already told you what's on the first line, which is your name. What's on the second line? What are those three or four words that 
capture the essence of your life that, that you want to, to sit there for eternity. And then I ask people to, again, with their eyes continue to be closed, I want you to step back and, and once you've figured that out, which you're not going to do right now, but it's a great exercise for you to do later, think about what you would want someone to say about you at your funeral. So, so now you're writing, call it three or four themes of your eulogy. What are those three or four themes that capture your life to those that knew you and loved you? And finally, three or four sentences for your obituary. What are those three or four sentences that someone who never met you would read and know about you for life? And now take one minute, once you figure all that out, which you obviously can't do right now, but have you given real thought to three or four words for your tombstone, three or four themes for your eulogy, and three or four sentences for your obituary? Now be honest with yourself. As you look at that written down, is that the life you're living? Is that the person that you want to be remembered as? Is that what you're doing today? And if not, your minutes aren't mattering. You're not using them wisely. That's very powerful. I'm going to go back and do that. I've had another guest that talked about something similar about a eulogy, but also he's a triathlete. So before he would start the actual triathlon, he would go to the finish line and envision himself being at the finish line. And that would actually allow him to train for the triathlon. It was very interesting. And he went into some more detail about that, but uh, I like that. So we'll definitely do that because I could tell you as much as I want to make time count, I know I waste it and I've got to get better at it. All of us do. I don't think there's no anybody doubt. that doesn't. 100%. But, but I'm also cognizant of it too, because we only have X amount of days on this planet. So why not do things that make you happy, bring joy to others, enjoy life and, and make a difference and an impact in other people's lives. That's it said. That's a good place to recap and, and, and head off into the sunset on this one. So where can we get your book? So it's available on Amazon, on barnesandnoble.com, at some local retailers, or you can go to my website, lifeistooshortguy.com. That's lifeistooshortguy.com. The book is called The Life's Too Short Guy. You can also get information about my speaking engagements, I, I am out now speaking to a bunch of companies and conferences and so on and so forth, trying to spread this word, trying to make the world happier one smile at a time. Is that the best place for people to get a contact to is your website? Lifeistooshortguy.com. All the social media handles are there. I will make sure we link that in the show notes so everyone can get a hold of you and pull the book. Sir, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being an inspiration, but also sharing some great knowledge because we all could be happier in life. No doubt. I hope everybody approaches every day as giving themselves a chance to make the best day ever. Thanks, sir.